Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. As you're turning there, I, I tried, as I, tried as I did, I, I just could not think of a better opening illustration than to, to reference football um, in some sense. In, in many ways, that's all I know. Um, so if, if this doesn't relate to you, I'm sorry. I, I, it's the only one I could think of. There, there is in, in football a, a basic philosophy that uh, the offense sells tickets, but defense wins championships. In other words, that defense is the most important part of a football team. That if you don't have a strong defense, uh, you, you won't win. And that if you if you had to choose, you, you should you should you should want a strong defense. But obviously, we all know that it's important to have both, is it? Isn't it not? I mean, I, I think if you would uh, look at most of the championships and pe- teams that win championships, they have both a strong offense and a strong defense. And I think the Apostle Peter would agree with that, um, that, uh, that we need both a strong defense and a strong offense. In Second Peter chapter 3, at the very close of this second letter that he wrote, In verse 17, he said, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. He said, first of all, you, you, you have to have a good defense. And he says this simple word, guard. We are to guard ourselves. We have a strong defense against spiritual error. But he doesn't, doesn't stop with just a good defense. He says you need to also have a good offense. And the key word there in verse 18 is grow. But grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he says Paul's or Peter's philosophy would be, no, you, you, it's not just about having a good defense. It's about having both a good defense and a good offense. Guard yourselves from spiritual error. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ with the result being, or the goal being, uh, or the win being, if you will, to, to glory, bring glory to him in all things. So, again, um, as, we, as we live our Christian life, it's not just about defense. It's not just about offense. It's about both. And that our ultimate goal in both those things is, in fact, to bring glory uh, both now and forever to our God. So let's look at the, the, the first thing he says. is a good defense. So if you want to write this down, beware that you don't fall. Beware that you don't fall. Again, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, stop. Already know what? That should be your question. Already, When he says you already know this, what is he talking about? Well, go back to me. Go back with me to verse 15. This is what they already know. Bear in mind, verse 15, that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. And His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, as an as a side, this gives us some valuable insight into the, um, the, the 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 distribution of scripture 
by Peter's by, by the time Peter wrote Second Peter. What do we know uh, by the time Peter writes this letter? What do we know that is floating or not floating? That's being shared and transmitted to the various churches. Letters from Paul. Um, again, he mentions the fact that Paul wrote you with the wisdom God gave, and he writes the same in all of his letters. So there were at, at the time that Peter wrote this letter. Paul had written at, at least some of his letters that we now know of as books in our New Testament, and that they had been they had been shared and transmitted throughout the church. And it's interesting too that he he considers what what Paul wrote to be scripture, because he said he writes the same way all of his letters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures. So the question is, what were the other scriptures? Um, maybe there were other books that 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 the church had uh, that had come uh, that had been sent to the churches, uh, gospels probably. So so at, at, right out the bat, it gives us some valuable insight into the transmission of the scriptures that had been shared even throughout the churches by the time Peter writes. Uh, but this is what they were to know: they were to know that there were people that were taking. Scripture in doing what? Distorting it. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Now, our, our various translations have different descriptions of these people. Uh, untaught, ignorant. Um, this doesn't mean that they hadn't been to seminary. So, so please don't hear untaught as... Uh, they hadn't been formally trained. That, that, that most certainly probably would have been the case. But a seminary education is not required in order to be taught. Uh, we've talked about that before. In other words, they, they didn't have a grasp of Scripture. Not only were they untaught, not only were they ignorant, but they were unstable, the text tells us. So the question is, what is the nature of this? What, what do they mean, unstable? Um, I, I've met Christian after Christian after Christian, and... Um, they, in fact, I, I've asked this question: How many of you, when you first came to know Christ, were were uh, right away given uh, a systematic, thorough grounding in the basics of the faith? Most Christians say they they didn't. Um, in in a lot of the churches that I served in, we, they used to have like new uh, new Christians class that they would do that. Um, but I, I've met Christian of Christian that there was never a time early in their faith, early in their conversion, where they went through a systematic, intentional uh, study of the basics of the Christian faith. And oftentimes they come to they come to our church, or they come to a church, and they've had multiple experiences. I, I've met people <laughs> that came to our church, and they at one time they were United Methodists, and then they were Pentecostals, and then they were Baptists. Um, no core belief, no core understanding of solid doctrine. They've picked up pieces here and there from each one of these uh, religious traditions, and they're unstable. They're unstable in their faith. They're unstable in their doctrine because they've never been grounded in the solid basics of the faith. And he's saying these, in fact, are the people that are um, that they know about. Now, notice they, that what do they do to Scripture? What does it say? 
distort. Notice it, do, it doesn't say they deny Scripture. These are people who are disseminating information. They're using their Bible, but they are distorting the message. They are distorting the message. Um, what does it mean to distort? It, it means to give a false. I looked up the the, the the definition to give a false, perverted, or disproportionate meaning to something. Let me say that again: to give a false, perverted, or disproportionate meaning to something. It's not denying. It, it, that's low-hanging fruit. We know to be on our defense about people who deny Scripture. You know, we know to deny what Mormons try to say to us. We, didn't, we know to, to reject what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. But it's a different matter when someone uses the Bible, and, and it seems like within the church, as long as someone has a Bible with them, we automatically accept everything they say. We automatically accept what they preach and what they teach. So these teachers or these people were not, were not denying Scripture, but they were, in fact, distorting it. Keep your marker here. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this, too. He says, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this ministry of the Spirit, the new letter of the law, the new letter, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This was a common a challenge to the early church. Teachers who were using the scriptures, but they were distorting them. In fact, he said these, they were using secret and shameful ways to distort the scriptures, presumably to their own benefit. Paul said, we, we, we didn't do that. We set forth the truth plainly. If, if there was ever a description of what should happen up here, is whoever stands here should set forth the truth plainly and not distort scripture. Not pervert it, not twist it, not to bring disproportionate meaning to it. And, and it brings to light again that, that uh, instruction that Paul gave to Timothy, do your best to do what? Be diligent to study Scripture, be approved to God. Handling the Bible, using your... Timothy, I want you to use the Bible in your teaching. Is that what he said? Your answer should be, no. No. What does he say? Accurately handling Scripture. That is so important. That distinction is so important. Because all, all a teacher or all someone has to do is pull out a Bible and it's like everything shuts off in our, in our critical thinking, in our biblical thinking, and as long as they're using the Bible, we accept everything they say. And this is a real threat to the church when you consider all of the false teachers on TV social media. They're using the Bible. They don't deny the Bible. But they're distorting the Word of God. And, 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 and so many Christians say, well, they're using the Bible. and They're standing by the... Well, I was going to say they stand by the... Most churches, they don't stand by the pulpit anymore. I'm wearing jeans, but they ain't skinny. Um, he, he, he said, listen, guys, um, they, they are distorting the truth. Back to Second Peter. 
You already know this, that, that those who are untaught, unstable, are distorting the Word of God. And you need to be on your guard. Uh, look with me again at, at chapter 3, verse 17. Because you already know this, because you know that there... By the way, it says unstable people. Some of our translations say men. Does yours say unstable or lawless men? Right? Yes, thank you, because some do. This is interesting. Um, there is no word men. There's no anthropoi here. Um, the adjective for unstable is a masculine plural adjective. And so that's why... Um, okay, Greek lesson. So for most of you, you'll probably your eyes are going to start rolling back up in your head. And, and this is important. This is free, by the way. Translation. The Greek masculine plural in Greek is a, is a word called anthropoi. And so those translations whose philosophy is to translate formally. So they take what, what's, the, what's the form of the Greek, which is masculine plural. What's the masculine plural in English? Men. So that's why they will translate this as men. The only problem with that is that in Greek, the form that they use to refer to people in general is what? Anthropoi. Masculine plural. That's the only thing they have to refer. They don't have a different word for, you know, people, men and women. Same, is it the same in Spanish? The masculine plural is, is used to address men. And, okay, great. Um, so the question here is, is he talking about lawless men, i.e. formal teachers, or is it unstable people? I tend to opt for people. I don't think he's limiting this to false preachers. I, I don't know this for a fact, but, but I would... I would bet my bottom dollar, whatever that means, that most people have been led astray and, and have been deceived by a distortion of the Word of God through friends that they met at the pool or at playing tennis. No, seriously. Deception and distortion doesn't just occur here, but it's when... We have friends at work or someone who goes to another church and they start sharing with us. And it sounds so plausible, but they are, in fact, they're giving you a distortion. That's why I would offer. These are people. This is not limited to just false preachers. But, in fact, we are to be on our guard against any distortion of God's word, whatever the source of it is. And that's the basic command here. Be on your guard. This is an imperative he said, you can't fall asleep at the post. And this is, a, this is a common scriptural command. Be on your guard. Paul says this in Colossians 2.8. He says, don't let anyone take you captive. To, to, to take you as a prisoner of war. We have to always be vigilant. Um, to, to, to not allow anyone to persuade us or captivate us by what he calls Error. Look again, Second Peter 3. Be on your guard that you might be carried away by the error. Now, this carried away could be led astray. We see the same word used in Galatians 2.13 when he said that, in fact, even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy of the church. So don't allow these unstable, 
ignorant, untaught people to let you be carried away, to be led astray into error. And I take this to be doctrinal error. Now, like it or not, there is good doctrine and there's bad doctrine. How do we know the difference? How do we discern the difference between good doctrine and bad doctrine? Think about it for a minute. What's that? By knowing the word accurately, knowing the word. That's where, again, 2 Timothy 2.15 comes in. Study, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. Correctly handling. That means correctly interpreting and correctly teaching the word of God. You see, the, the reason why he gives that command is not just when you teach yourself, when you read the word. It's not just when someone preaches the word, but it's, to, it's a protection. We're talking about defense. It's a protection to you. When you learn how to study and accurately handle God's word, you'll be able to detect distortions. You'll be able to detect when someone is not handling it rightly. If you are doing it rightly. He says, listen, I want you to guard yourselves. This is a command uh, from doctrinal error and the result that you be led astray, that you not be led astray. And led astray from what? Be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error, the spiritual error, the doctrinal error of lawless people and fall from your what? Stability, your secure position, your firm commitment. Now here's the question. Is he talking about lose your salvation? And the answer should be no. No. If someone is truly justified, they can never lose that. Christ has promised it. So we know that it's not that. What about, is it a loss of, loss of assurance? Uh, that, that our firm, we, we lose our firm stability, we, we, we lose our, our confidence, our, our assurance. Uh, we, we do see this in Second, in, in second Peter, Could turn back to chapter 1. Oh, back in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. It's not loss of salvation. It could be a loss of assurance or a firm uh, confidence in, in, in where we stand doctrinally and spiritually. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, 1 John 2.19. Remember when, when John says, listen, they, they went out from us. But when they, they went out from us, they, they demonstrated they were never really one of us. So maybe that was it. Maybe those... It's hard to really know. I think at the very least, there, there is a dire warning here that in some real and, and dangerous sense, your faith can be jeopardized. Short of losing your salvation, um, to, to, to allow um, these unprincipled, lawless, unstable people to lead you astray from solid doctrine and true doctrine 
will in some sense be damaging to your faith. And Peter says, guard yourselves. So here's what I think Peter's saying. Stop being so naive and gullible. Do they and are they correctly handling the Word of God or are they distorting it? Be on your guard in its present tense. Continually be guarding yourself against the error, the spiritual error, that you might be led astray and fall from your secure position. That's number one, a good defense. But number two, he says that that you need to have a good offense too. Look at verse 18. But, this is contrastive, instead of that, or in addition to that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the defense is guard, the offense is grow. Now, what does he mean by grow? Grow presumes life. It presumes that there's some life. Um, typically, you'd, you know, if I, if I were to show you uh, a picture of the Sahara Desert and go, plants aren't growing here. Well, of course they aren't. Why? Because it's a desert. Plants don't grow in the desert. So when he says grow, he's presuming that there is life. Number two is the necessity. This too is an imperative. This is not an option. Spiritual growth is not a decision you make. It is a command we obey. It is an imperative. It is a necessity. You are to grow. It is to be continual. You never arrive. Uh, it's amazing to me how many Christians at my age, in their 50s, um, they, 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 they get this attitude, I've arrived, I, I've, I, I've grown as much as I'm going to grow. I often tell people that, um, that in many ways I feel like I'm just starting in the Christian faith. Um, it, it is a continual process. It is it, in, in the present active voice. It's, it's con, a continually grow. And we understand that growth is uneven. We like to think that our sanctification, our growth, you know, looks like this, you know, like a, well, like a space shuttle, you know, psh, straight up. No, it has peaks and valleys. Growth is not even. We have times when we stumble, we fall. We have periods of time in our lives where maybe, for whatever reason, we're discouraged or we're just being disobedient, rebellious. We don't grow very much through laziness. But in all of this, there's progress. Um, many of you already know that back in 2003, so that's what, 19, I can't believe, 19 years ago, I ran uh, the Leadville 100 with my brother. Actually, for me, it's the Leadville 40. Um, <clears throat> I, I, uh, Twin Lakes is where, where I uh, DNF, did not finish. But in ultra marathon, especially above Timberline, when you're running, the, the key is what they call tenacious forward movement. In other words, you're not running the whole time. There, there are some ascents and some inclines that you don't run up because you would burn more energy um, than, than the, the time that you save because it's really not about time. It's about finishing. Um, 
So the, the, the phrase that when you train and when you run the Leadville 100 is tenacious forward movement. There'll be times when you'll run. There'll be times when you walk. Sometimes you fall. Sometimes when you're tired, you trip on a stone on the trail and you fall. And you pick yourself up and you keep moving. I think it's an illustration of what Peter is saying to grow. It's uneven. But there's progress. There's tenacious forward movement. There'll be times when we blow it. We pick ourselves up. We confess and we keep moving. We keep growing. And he says, I want you to grow in two areas. Number one, I want you to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what construction is that? Genitive. Usually Danny's the one that jumps on that. So what does it mean to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ? Well, there are two basic options. One would be called a subjective genitive. And that is the, that the grace that Jesus shows me, I to grow in the grace that Jesus directs towards me, or I am to grow in my expression of God's grace, of Jesus' grace to me. We're going to look at that in a minute. But the first thing I want you to notice is grace. Now, there's, there's diff- believe it or not, there's different views that people have of, of grace. One is what I call an entitlement grace. They, they see grace as entitlement. In other words, they say, I deserve it. Now, no Christian would readily admit this. No Christian would say, you know, I deserved God's grace. First of all, that's a misnomer because if you deserved it, it's not what? It's not grace. But deep down inside, I really wasn't that bad of a person. When I came to know Christ, I was nine years old. I was not that bad of a person in my thinking. I kind of, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team, quite frankly. The, the, some people have this notion of grace as an entitlement grace. I deserve it. Some people have a trust fund grace. They see grace as a trust fund. I can do whatever I want, and Daddy's going to pay for it. Trust fund grace. Some have a, a notion of bankruptcy grace. What's bankruptcy grace? What bankruptcy grace is? Well, God's grace covered my past, but now I got to get my act together, and and I got to straighten out my life because it doesn't cover the future. Now, genuine grace is first of all it's freely given, and I've never been more convinced that if if we truly understood God's grace, true nature of God's grace. Our spiritual growth would, 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 would grow leaps and bounds. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, not a result of works, any man should boast. It's freely given. True grace instills in us a desire not to sin. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says, Should I sin that grace may abound? May genoito, God forbid. True grace instills a desire not to sin. Not a trust fund grace. I can do whatever I want. Daddy's going to pay for it. And true grace covers past, present, and future. So again, true grace. Grow in the grace. True grace that is freely given, that it, that's instills a desire not to sin, that covers the past, present, and future. And to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Two things I think that he's saying. I want you to grow in the grace that, that he, he extends to you, a subjective genitive. Grow in experiencing the grace that he gives us. How do we do this? Through forgiveness. One of the things that the Bible taught, tells believers is to confess your sin. Why? If it's already forgiven, why do I confess it? Let me give you my theory. My theory is as I confess my sin, not only does it help me to grow and stay holy, but it enables me to experience the, the, the forgiveness that is mine. When we are justified, when we come to know Christ, we are declared righteous in his sight. But we're still not experientially righteous. That is a growth process. And so as I confess my sin, I experience his grace through forgiveness. I grow in my understanding and my experience of his grace as I confess my sin and I remember that he has already forgiven me. So when he says grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, grow in the grace that extends me through forgiveness, through the grace he gives me to persevere, to persevere through pain that, I, that, that Tom suffers every single day. I pray for persevering grace. That he would experience God's grace through discouragement and through pain and discomfort. And many of us have other pains and discomforts. That God, that, that this, these are opportunities for us to grow in the grace that he gives us. Through hardships, through trials. We, we grow in, our, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we face hardship and trials and we experience his grace. Grow in the grace of it in that sense. But I think it could also be, interp- could also be interpreted to grow in his grace to me that I extend to others. In other words, God's kind of grace, I want you to grow in that kind of grace as you interact with others. This is what, what we experience. We live in biblical community. I, I love, this was years ago, Chuck Swindoll talked about the porcupine syndrome. And he said that when porcupines try to, if they try to get close to each other, what do they do? They start poking each other. And that's what happens in biblical community. There are times when we poke each other. We have to, in fact, grow in grace as we extend that to others. Quickly turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here it is. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Uh, Forbearance. We bear with one another. What is the implication when he says, I want you to bear with each other? What's the implication? We're poking. You know, uh, you know, Mitch just ticked me off. What am I going to do? I bear with him. I never tick anybody off. Uh, so, it, no, bear, we, the implication is we have to bear with each other. We have to forgive each other. We have to extend grace to one another. We grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we extend it to others. 
So the first thing he says, I want you to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But number two, he says, I want you to grow in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's knowledge of? Two options. Knowledge about him or knowledge that he gives from him or knowledge that's from him. Two things. I think it is knowledge about him. Knowing the right Jesus. To grow in our knowledge of the emphasis, the right Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.4. We have have time. You don't have anything else to do, right? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this even goes back to guard yourselves against error, spiritual error. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 3. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the spirits, serpents, not spirits, the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray. There's that led astray. And from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ, from your firm position, from your secure position of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit, you, you put up with it easily enough. You're... you're, you're you're gullible. But the key here is there are different Jesuses that are being preached out there. I want you to grow in the knowledge of the right Jesus. You know I've used this so many times it, it'll probably make you sick. Um, there's a lot of women named Vicky. Does it matter which Vicky I go home with? Or does it matter which Vicky comes home with me? Dan, do you think it would matter to Cindy... Which Cindy went home with you? Yeah. Depends on what day it is, maybe, right, Cindy? <laughs> she could have him. Um, knowing the right Jesus, growing in our knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, our knowledge of right, the right Jesus. But number two, knowing the right Jesus. Do you have Amplified today, Dan? Would you read Philippians 3? Turn to Philippians 3.10. And I'd like Dan to read Philippians 3.10 from the Amplified. I was hoping you brought it. Uh, Turn to Philippians 3.10. I'll read it from my translation, and I'll have Dan read it uh, from the Amplified. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, Dan, the phrase I'm, that I I'm, I'm want to talk about is the very first one. He says, I want to know Christ. Is he saying, I want to know about Christ? Read Amplified, what the Amplified says. What's that? I, that's what I want. Yeah. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may Great. So he said, listen, it's not that Paul already knew Christ. What does he mean when he said, I want to know him? I want to know him experientially. 
I don't want to just know the right Jesus. I don't want to just know the right Jesus. I want to know the right Jesus. I want to know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him. Understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. This is the the head-heart thing. Yes, I, I need to know about him, but I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. Um, this should be our number one goal in life that Paul said, I want to know him. I want to, I want to know him on an experiential level. And again, sadly, because of all of the abuses of this, uh, we, oftentimes we shun this, that, this, that I want to know him in, in, in my heart and not just in my head. And what's the result? Second Peter 3.18. Turn back there if you would. A good offense and a good defense. Number one, beware that you don't fall. Number two, beware that you don't grow. Number three, to him be glory both now and forever. That our ultimate goal, our ultimate win, is to bring him glory. Both now and forever. Quickly, what are the applications? Number one, 2 Timothy 2.15. We correctly we learn how to correctly handle the Word of God so that we can detect distortions of the Word of God. There's a lot of churches and a lot of movements out there that are using God's Word, but they are not handling it correctly. They are not interpreting it correctly. They are distorting it. And everything seems Christian and everything's that they're, they've got a church and they're saying the church. But they're distorting Scripture. Number two, cultivate an awareness of and seek after Him, a relationship with Him. And this is what I struggle with. This is the hardest part of my growth and growing in Him, recognizing and, and really believing He is a real person who is with me and knows me. And knows my fears and my my sin and my shortcomings. And loves me anyway. I want to know him. And so sadly, I, 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 I just, sometimes I mask that by knowing about him. And I think that knowing about him is sufficient. But Paul says, no, I want to know him. To be more intimately acquainted with him. That, that's, on, that's on an effective level not an intellectual level. And finally, we are to have as our act of worship to glorify Him in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Beware that you don't fall. Beware that you don't grow. And glorify Him in all that you do. If we want to win... Have a good defense, guard yourselves, and a good offense, grow the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to have a, a, a well-rounded Christian experience. And it comes through a good defense by guarding ourselves from spiritual and doctrinal error that would lead us astray and, and 
that we would fall, uh, that our faith would be compromised and jeopardized. Father, we, we don't want to just protect ourselves. We want a good offense. We want to grow. We want to grow in the, in your, in, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in our experience of his grace towards us. And grow in our willingness to extend grace to others. Finally, Father, our, our, our sincere desire is that through it all, through both our defense and our offense, we would bring glory to you. That whatever we do, we would do it all for the glory of God. We thank you for Jesus who died for us, who extended his grace to us while we were yet sinners. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.